When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with a synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of Padroni. Well, this episode, obviously, I'm talking to Sean Locke. I met him at the Galway Festival, Carnival, Vodafone Carnival Comedy Festival, whatever they call it. And uh, we were at uh, a little pub uh, having a drink. We went off. I did a gig with him. And then me and him, Ian Coppinger, and my girlfriend, Amandine, we went to this pub that was off the beaten track. It was a lovely pub and had a few drinks. And then I'll ask him, we do the podcast. And uh, we agreed to do it over the phone. And uh, set it up there last week and and did it. And he's on his he's on his way. He's on a train to Manchester as we're talking and doing it. So there's a few there was a few interruptions. I've cut them out. Obviously the the bits uh, that were we were uh, lost contact with each other via the phone. So uh, since then, you know, since I met Sean initially in Gal, since I was in Galway, basically, I've been all over the country of Ireland. Have been doing the maddest little. Really nice little venues, really nice, not theatres, not uh, bars as such, but uh, just interesting venues. Like I did a, I did one bar now, there was one bar I did down in Killarney called Reedy, Reedy's. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. Four little bars in the same place, like they have a cocktail bar and a, a coffee kind of area and it's just a bar, bar. But it's all like this... I would bring Killarney just go in there because it's like uh, there's a sweet shop area in the bar and all that it's like an old bar and it's, there's loads of rooms and it's like a village almost you know and there's inside bits and the outside bits not Jesus but the night before I went down there that was that was the weekend before last I was in a place called the Lime Killing in Julianstown did a gig there but before I did the gig had the best meal ever best meal I've had in ages in a in a restaurant like I went for surf and turf I had steak and crab claws and I I don't I can't remember exactly what the veg and stuff I just remember it was delicious I can't tell you now exactly but it was delicious delicious I'm not just saying that you know and uh had a late night that night oh jeez I had a great gig and then oh jesus oh I did oh I was up till six seven or eight in the morning I can't remember I was up to all those three times of the morning. Um, where else did I go? Oh, yes, and a few days later, it was a, it was a Thursday night. I went into a place called the Cross Guns. Did a gig in this venue 
in Nobber. Well, it's not actually Nobber. I thought it was Nobber because, but when I was just someone in the audience says uh, it's not Nobber, it's Castletown. It's not Nobber. Although I'm very offended, but. Uh, uh, this venue is beautiful. It's a restaurant called the Cross Guns, but they have a venue next door, so people would have their meal and they and they'd wander across. And this place was like a wood, uh, stone, uh, the opposite of wood, stone building, but with wooden, beautiful wooden rafters and big long lanterns hanging from the ceiling and a big stag's head on the wall and you know, wooden tables, candles. It was like a place where they'd have a uh, a meet, you know, some private club meeting, you know, where they'd be like, uh, eyes wide shut type of vibe would be going on, you know what I mean? But no, but it wasn't. It was just, it was just, it was, did a comedy gig there. Yeah, uh, that was good. And then up in Donegal there last weekend, um, not for my gig, but there was a band called Modern Love, and they were recording a live. Uh, recording and live kind of a uh, guest uh, invited guests live show we're recording two songs and uh, Amandine Le Sargent uh, re- shot it and set designed the set and uh, it was beautiful and that the fruits of that uh, labour will be out on the uh, internet yeah, soon but that was good. I was up in Donegal and it's freezing cold weather. I mean, it's pretty uh, windy and rainy and all that. And we, we got, didn't we get in our wetsuits and uh, get into the sea? I mean, well, we were going to go surfing, actually. That was the plan. The plan was to go surfing, but I've never seen a commerce. The sea was just like, there was ripples, just ripples. There was nothing. There wasn't even a a wave or anything like that so we we, we uh, got in then we, we brought a board but I mean it was pointless but um, we're in our wetsuits and it, it, it's fine it's not that cold in the wetsuit until you put your head under the water and then you come up and it's like a f- ice cream uh, headache or something like that. weird thing keep doing it of course but and then or also you're in the wetsuit and it's fine and everything but then a little bit of water goes down the back of your neck and just dribbles down your back and it's like oh that's cold it's very cold you know very cold goes all the way down your back anyway but anyway that was it that was great in getting in the sea in this cold weather it's nothing like it wakes you up it makes you feel like you're alive i mean basically that's it and you are alive in general if you get in a wetsuit it's very hard to get in a wetsuit when you're dead, you know. Uh, in fact, it was very hard to get out of the wetsuit, even though I was alive, because my hands were all frozen and I couldn't use my thumbs and it sticks to you and everything. It took me ages. I thought I wasn't going to get it out. It took me ages to get even the zip. I couldn't do the zip. I couldn't do it. My hands were just fro- It was brilliant, though. It was brilliant. I'm not, I'm not doing it down. It was great. I mean... I want to say I was going to surf. I mean, I've not been on a board more than two seconds, probably at a time. I've tried, though. I've tried for hours. But, you know, the worst thing about it is, this is the thing about when you have kids and stuff, you bring them sur- You go, we're going to do surfing lessons. And they pick it up in half an hour, and you're like, shite, you know. I already bring them, let's, oh, yeah, we're going to do skiing. And within an hour, they're brilliant at it. Ugh. So annoying. It's just they're all bendy and young. Mm. Anyway, it was good fun. 
yeah, it was good fun. But, you know, yeah, just don't bring your kids. Don't teach your kids any of that stuff. It's my advice. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to this uh, malarkey. I mean, I've got a review on... uh, I've got a review on uh, iTunes, which is a good review, but it says, Excellent. Skip for six minutes, as usual, then great listening from Annoyed So Far. Thank you, Annoyed So Far. You won't be listening to this anyway, so fuck off. But, um, yeah, I think this bit's brilliant. Okay, well, the interview's coming up now. And a few references that I've got to point out because we just skip over them and you might know what we're talking about. So, first of all, 15 Stories High. We referenced that. That is a sitcom that Sean Locke wrote and acted in. And that's available on YouTube. Free of charge. Two seasons of it. So, you can check that out. The Rubber Bishops, we mentioned. That is a where a double act with uh, Bill Bailey... And a fella called Toby Longworth, who left the Rubber Bishops and is an actor now. I think he's done a lot of voiceovers. He's done audio. But he's done. He's been in a lots. He's been in extras. I think the uh, series. And just a quick reference. I think that that Sean makes to Lee Evans coming into the dressing room in the store and saying he's working on. His Bohemian Rhapsody routine, which is what he closed with when I think when he won the Perrier Award during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which catapulted him almost immediately to fame. Because I saw him doing the Andrews Lane Theatre before that, so he was doing that kind of a venue, and then but he won the Perrier, bang, shaboom, kapow. There you go. So that's the references. At the start of the interview, Sean, he's on a train and he's ordering breakfast from someone on the train. Not from me, because I'm in a studio in Dublin. Okay, here we go. Sean Locke. Sorry about that, Joe. Oh, that's okay, Sean. Uh, I'll have the brown sauce, please. Well, actually, and some mustard. Got any mustard? Lovely. And salt and pepper. Go off you go, Joe. I'm I'm ready. I'm all here. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Uh, how's crack? All right. Yeah, it was. It was uh, good crack in Galway, anyway. Uh, no, I really enjoyed it. Yes, it's a great place to go. Okay, so uh, let. Can, do you have some uh, Irish connection there? Your you have relations up north, is it? Northern Ireland, is it? Yeah, my mother was Irish, yeah. She was from um, a place called Colourville, which is between Cross McGlen and Castle Blaney, right on the border. Oh, okay. She was born there, and she grew up uh, there and in and in Castle Blaney, in Monaghan. And then she moved, like many young Irish women, to uh, Liverpool in the, I would imagine, the early 50s. Oh, okay. And then ended up down in Wimbledon, uh, where she and my dad who lived was from Wandsworth alright yeah um, so yeah and so I've got and she was adopted her mother died when she was very young so she was adopted uh, into a relative family related family so I've got quite a big uh, selection of relatives um, 
to uh, to visit. Uh, so uh, I've uh, two families. Oh, right, okay. Because I remember, I think I saw you. I saw you playing a gig in a place called the Bell Bucked way back, and I think you had family at the gig as well. So yeah, I would have had my daughter from Dublin there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But she was that. She was. Um, it's very sad actually. She was a twin, and they separated the twins. So my uncle stayed uh, with the dad. So my mother died. I think her mother died when she was about three, and she was taken in to the other family, the Donnelly family. She was a McCree. She was taken to the Donnelly family. Oh. And uh, very sad. Um, he's still alive, actually. He's, he's the only one still alive. Mickey, who I go and see when I can. Oh, that's, uh, that's, but that's, a... Very, that's a terrible thing to do, isn't it? But yeah. I suppose that's how they solve problems in those days. You know, can't, have, can't look after everybody. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, um, they had tough lives in those days. Yeah. We lead very, very easy, soft lives, really. Oh no, yeah, uh, uh, no. From yeah, my ex's uh, mother as well had a child when she was really young, and and that uh, son was taken away from her. But he made connection yeah, again. Tough, but, yeah, yeah. tough. Sorry. So and then you grew up in uh, Woking, was it? You did. Yes. Yeah. Well, I actually was born in Chertsey, just by the Thames. Mm. Sounds really romantic, but it wasn't. It's not really. I don't. I do um, but and then we moved to Woking, which is eight miles away. <laughs> oh, right. So, um, so if you want to get your Google Maps out, you can see the um, the journey that um, I undertook. Um, <laughs> um, so we moved to uh, yeah, moved to Woking, and I grew up there. Yeah, in a sort of suburban London, a suburb of London, really. Right, about yeah. twenty miles outside London. Okay, uh, like kind of a. a Catholic type upbringing was it or was there any religion or? well yeah my mum insisted my mum died when I was very young but she insisted that my dad who became a Catholic to marry her oh. um, because he was obviously he was a Londoner you know um, you know just yeah, didn't have really any religion they saw when they didn't never went to church so none of his family was just he became a Catholic so he promised to keep us Catholic and um, so I went to the local Catholic schools. I went to the convent school, which was mostly nuns. Oh, right. And then I went to uh, the various Catholic comps that there were. Well, I went to the Catholic comp in in my in, in, in Woking. And I uh, was an altar boy up until I was about 14 or 15. Really? Loved, I loved it, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was, just, sorry, it was the best thing. And then, I, I don't know, I didn't actually have a moment of epiphany either. So I'm sure many Irish comedians have talked about it. I didn't have like a moment of I, I, saw, I used to talk in my act about having this moment where I'm going, hang on, this is this is just ridiculous. There's more sort of just general losing interest in it, like it was a craze. I yeah. sort of went, went off it. I didn't have like a sort of moment of um, Damascene clarity where I went, this is a lot of bollocks. And then slowly, it's slow, the slow um, disinterest in it developed into a contempt. Um, but um, there's lots of good things about it. I always stick up for yes, please, I'll have a cup of tea. Sorry about that. I'm talking to someone. No, that's that's pretty cool. A uh, cup of tea. Uh, lovely cup of tea. This is it's nice. very nice service to get you on the train. Thank you. Where are um, you? Where are you? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I, I, but I always stick, uh, when people ever slag off priests and nuns, I always stick up. So they're, mostly they're very good to me because they were like a, um, what would you call it? 
<clears throat> I was very lucky, obviously. I, I didn't have any really bad ones. So yeah. we'll, we won't dwell on that. Yeah, you, so you, you had no bad experience. And uh, you enjoyed being an altar boy. Did you get to ring the bell and take the wine and the... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. And it's the only way I can get into a football team. <laughs> I couldn't get into my school football team. I was too shite. Right. So I could get into the Alter Boys football team. <laughs> All right, there's an Alter Boys football team. All right, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, priests got, you know, what they got to do in the Sunday afternoon after they'd finished mass or Saturday, whatever. So um, um, <clears throat> I used to reach football and, um, and just slowly lost interest in it. Right, yeah, well, I've done jokes to, to the contrary, as if I had, like I said, like I had this moment. I used to do this joke where I say I was cycling along and I thought, hang on, what am I got? I used to go to confession and all that very, yeah. very you know, keenly. And I used to do this joke about the fact that I was riding to confession. I thought, so hang on a minute. I'm about to get into a wooden box and tell dirty stories to an old Irishman that's never had sex. <laughs> that was like a, quite, quite a good, good description of uh, it. Reconstruction, but it didn't. It didn't happen like that. It was a slow, you know, petering out, really. All right. Um, like after you left school, would you still have gone to mass? Or no, I would nah. go. I'd stop going to mass around. But I was pretty funny with my dad actually because he was obviously he went to mass with me because of this promise he made to my mother. Yeah. And then as soon as I said, actually, I don't really want to go to mass anymore, expecting. So the battle I imagine you would have in most Irish households yeah. with your mother and father about that. He went, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, okay, fine, fair enough. He's probably thinking, no, thank Christ for that. <laughs> yeah, he was only doing it to, to uh, please your mother, I suppose. There was no there was no big rage in sort of uh, arguing in our house about my eternal soul being damned or whatever. That was quite good. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. And did you go to college then, or you you, you went? Straight? No, I went. To, I went. I did O levels hmm. at my Catholic school, secondary school. Hmm. That's how old I am. Right. And I got five. And I didn't. I wasn't particularly. What's the word? Uh, I didn't apply myself particularly well. And then I went. I, I didn't want to stay at the Catholic school at that point. I went to a local technical college to do A levels, hmm. and I just dicked around. I had a job in the local bingo hall. I worked in a supermarket. I had quite a lot of cash. Yeah. And I used to um, filter some of the uh, bingo takings my way. I don't see it. I don't see it as theft. I see it as a more of a filtering process. <laughs> like I was a sort of sieve. And some of the money that was meant to go to the bingo hall yeah. ended up in my sieve. <laughs> so I, I filtered some bingo takings. And um, I had a lot of money, so I was out drinking, going to see bands, you know, doing some punk bands, and I had more money than anyone else I knew, actually. Yeah. And that was probably the end of many academic opportunity, um, possibilities I had. So I was I was going out drinking a lot, two or three, four nights a week, yeah. which most of my friends couldn't afford to do. So I had quite a diff- I had different groups of friends, so that. <laughs> I could keep up with my appetite and uh, and and to try and get drugs. Drugs were quite hard to come by in those days. It was very difficult to get your hand. Yeah. Any drug that was sort of, you heard that was available in the suburbs, you go, oh, I'll try that. I'll have that. And so whether it be like a sort of a blue pill that was a sort of supposed to be an amphetamine or some dope or an acid tablet, anything, you know. 
Oh, yeah. no, nothing serious. No, no cocaine or heroin or like that. But well, well, you know, anything that would give you a buzz. Right, yeah. You would spend your money, you know. And I had money, so I would say you obviously would buy it. You know, I didn't have luck. I had about, I promise probably had about 30 quid a week, which in 1980, and I was living at home, was, was quite a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, cocaine was kind of for rock stars back then. Anyway, it wasn't mm-hmm. your average person would have. Yeah. No. It was, yeah. And, like, what kind of bands were you going to see then? It's like the punk scene just started. I, uh, well, no, it started yeah, before I, that. No, but. I, mean, I, would, I would say 1970, which is my first band in 1978. I went to see, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't heard of that band. I went, I went, to, see, I went to see the Rosillos oh. at the Lyceum. And, um, and then I started going to see smaller bands. I see the Ruts a lot. Like, I love the Undertones. They're my favourite band. They're a brilliant band. I saw them about three times. Yeah. All of those new wave punk bands, uh, the Ruts. Oh, the Ruts are amazing. The members I used to go see because my brother shared uh, a flat with one of them. No uh, way. The members. This is the sound of the suburbs. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Uh, and, um, oh, Sham 69. Oh, okay. We did actually have some good songs. They had some horrible fun fans. Yeah. They, they they attracted the skinheads. Skinheads, crowd. yeah. Those were quite a lot of fights at their gigs. Good mm. chance of getting punched. <laughs> and um, uh, who else are we going to see? Uh, UK subs. All oh, right. Uh, so. All of the greats. Yeah, proper uh, kind of London punk. Happiest punch. days of my life. I've never been so excited ever about going when I was about 17, 16, 17, going to see a, a gig. I can't. Could never replicate that excitement. I've been to Champions League final. I've been to all kinds of great events, done amazing things. There's no excitement that compares to being about 15, 16 and going to a gig of a band you really want to see. Yeah, yeah. Even make, laying my grubby hands on a covered young lady, <laughs> that doesn't match the level of excitement. I, I was um, coursing through my veins as I, as I went to go to a song like The Ruts and the Nashville Rooms. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. Uh, it's a pity that, I can't remember the name, Singer, Singer of the Ruts died, didn't he? Fuck Malcolm it. Owen. Malcolm Owen, right, yeah. Yeah, heroin. Heroin. In his mother's Don't house, heroin. having a bath. He was having a bath in his mother's house when he died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he came up to me, um, he didn't come up to me, that's wrong. He was one of my claims to fame son. I used to wear a Crombie. Mm. And, um, he went walked past me with some pints. He went, nice crombie, mate. And I was just, that's just that's the most, most fatest. I swooned like a One Direction fan. <laughs> that's amazing. That's brilliant, yeah. Uh, were you into football as well at the same time? Or, or are you into... Um, not as much as people are today. I think people forget that. I supported Chelsea, but not in the way that people... Football just wasn't as part of much part of the culture, the fabric of life. Yeah, there was there was one or two live games on a year, the FA Cup final. So I would go to Stamford Bridge, you know, three or four times a season with my brother or something. You just, you just get to train up and pay in on the day. Yeah. So yeah, I liked Chelsea, but I always followed them. But I wasn't like um, so no, I didn't you know, I didn't I didn't get season tickets till the till the nineties. Yeah. But yeah, I always supported them. Oh, okay. 
my dad did and my brother did. It's like everyone in my family, because they're all from southwest London. It's all my cousins. There's only one person in our family, extended family, that doesn't support Chelsea. And that's my nephew, who I refuse to use his name even, because he supports <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, OK. Joe, yeah. no, it's Joe. And, um, well, I'm Joe and I'm an Arsenal know, fan as well, so... Yeah. It's been a thing that the family have had to get over and um, face up to and uh, come with, but... Um, yeah. yeah. You still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm an Arsenal fan. So. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. Uh, hello. Hello. I can hear you. I can hear you now. I can hear you now. I don't know why. We're, we're not, there's no tunnels around it. Just, where, did you, where did you lose me? What point? Uh, I heard everything. You just couldn't hear me. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're all, all Chelsea fans. Yeah, well, I was just trying to tell you I'm an Arsenal fan, so sorry about that. But uh, yeah, yeah. But I've I've hardly ever gone to see them, but so I'm not a huge fan. But um, yeah. I was going to say, that, so you were a labourer. Uh, when did you start working on the building sites? Then was that was that? Well, so I started when I was when I left the technical college with one A level, um, which is an, an an E in English, which is the lowest pass you can get. Mm. Uh, my options for further education were pretty limited and I wanted to just I didn't. I don't think I was suited to it so I just wanted to work and it was just the beginning of that should got in the 79 so two years in their policies are starting to work a lot of unemployment and uh, dissatisfaction now. so any job you could get so I started working on building sites my dad was a subcontractor mm. um, so I worked for him and then I worked Worked for all kinds of people, mate. I mean, when he had some work, and he said in my way, I'd work for him. I'd work for, um, you know, I worked in town in um, various big subby firms. And uh, but then we'd just go away traveling, so we'd just get some cash together. So when, when people, it's, it's funny actually over the years, people come know you become known for just sort of passing comments you make. So I become like the builder comedian. Well, it was like, to get money, I have. What's done? Uh, I'm just getting to choose a biscuit. Thank you very much. So I, I, I used to work on building sites quite a lot. Uh, I've worked in factories. I worked in. I worked with DHSS as it used to be called. Yeah. Which is now the I don't know what it is now. It's not the DSS anymore. I worked in a mental hospital in the kitchens of a mental hospital. Ah. So you would just get money and go away travelling. So that's what I did for a number of years. And where would you go travelling? Seven years. Where would you travel? All around Europe. Oh yeah. All right. And this sounds this this might sound like a loaded statement, but before the um, Berlin Wall came down and the sort of Eastern European um, barriers were removed, mm. there was quite a lot of work. You could get a lot of work in Europe um, doing all kinds of jobs. So you could just go, you could just go hitchhiking around France, uh, you know, going to to Spain, even you know, and, the, and some of the coastal resorts. But in Greece, you used to get work picking fruit, working in you know. Bars. I used to sell stuff on beaches. I used to work in farms. So um, I used to travel around a lot. And the idea was to stay away as long as I could. Oh, I yeah. did that on and off for a good five or six years, and then uh, got into this this business I'm in now. Okay, yeah. And so there's a lot of. Uh, I think you talked about it before on the building sites. There's a lot of ribbon going on. A lot of taking the piss. And I've noticed yes. in in uh, one of the episodes of Fifteen Stories High, 
the yeah. your flatmate gets a job in a fish in the fish. Uh, yes. And he's uh, whatever they sell fish, fish market. Fish market, fish, yes, uh, of course. Uh. Billingsgate, Billingsgate, yeah. Uh, and uh, and he just gets told to do ridiculous things. Yeah. Is it was that inspired from your time working? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was like, uh, I mean, I'm, the class is an obsession between this. I'm not, tick, I'm not particularly middle class. I'm not particularly working class. I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But I definitely stick out of the building site, you know, and. Uh, I was like the middle class bloke. So I was asking, you know that word people use now, posh, sort of liberally, for anything that is just different. Yeah. So uh, I was called, I, was, I had loads of nicknames. Luckily, I was quite a big fella and I could work hard. Um, so I used to be about, I used to be about 16 stone and I was, yeah, I used to get the piss taken out of me mercilessly. Yeah. And just, you, you get, you sort of suck it up and you just, you just take it. I, I used to have this nickname on my mum's site I worked on it. Worked on a patrol up in Coles, this big concrete game, laying these huge concrete slabs. And I was, my nickname was Susan. And I was given that name because the vibration that you dip into the concrete, this big sort of heavy thing that vibrates the concrete, I, I stuck it in to the slab, into the mesh, and I couldn't get it out. And then I fell over. And then they, that's it. I was called Susan. And then that was my name. And I just had, I, there's no point getting annoyed by it. It's just this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I used to walk in, and sometimes they'd all be singing. If you knew Susie, like I knew <laughs> Susie, whoa, 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 what a girl! So if you can put up with that, really, you know, when I started, it was quite a good preparation for uh, anything an audience had to serve me. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and lots of incidences like that, where you you stack, you know, if you stick out a bit, which I obviously did. Um, there's, uh, there's, you know, yeah, there's, there's, but it was, none of it was nasty, none of it was like, there was never, you would do, I mean, nowadays that would be called bullying, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd be, there'd be, someone would say, I was deeply traumatized and affected by this, it's changed the course of my life, I'd like 50,000 pounds, please. Mm. Uh, and none, but none of it, I would say, was, was, it is bullying in the sense that that is the culture that prevails where, you know, that's what, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, you went, it went a bit blank there, but you're back, yeah. Uh, sorry about that. Someone's ringing me. Oh, uh, okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would say that it, you know, it's quite interesting. That I, none of it affected me badly, but maybe that's because it's the type of person I am. I don't know. Some people are going, <laughs> stop calling me soon <laughs> and run off. <laughs> and then it gets worse. And, and, yeah, oh, yeah, it gets much worse, yeah. 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 I yeah, wonder about that uh, as well because I worked in a kitchen for a while and I, you know, I get sent for the long stand and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not yeah. sure if it makes you just, if it's not too bad, it's kind of toughens you up a bit. Yeah, it's part of the part of the what's the word, the initiation, the uh, the to, to be accepted. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not saying that there is no bullying in the workplace, but you know, I think it needs to be more clearly defined because. You know, I I don't consider that. I was singled out, and uh, I and I, but nothing. People didn't used to put, you know, stuff in my food or, um, you know, yeah, chicken, <laughs> chicken but 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 sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> making these levels of it. But uh, maybe I could get a payout. I'll yeah. go back and say, ruin my life. Maybe turn into a comedian. 
Yeah, I know I do. But I mean, I've talked to you know, you know Jason Byrne, right? And um, he yes. he worked in a uh, place that rented out equipment for sound equipment for gigs and stuff. And they used to, I think, uh, put they put the manager in a flight case one time and sent him off to a gig. And uh, this kind of stuff, it's hilarious. So uh, yes. it's be a pity to see that kind of thing disappear altogether. Uh, I think it's gone now. Yeah, I think, yeah, I just don't think there's any chance of doing that. Yeah. Um, Taping people up and uh, gaffer taping people to bits of scaffolding. Pulling and pulling their trousers down, that sort of thing. Oh, those days are gone. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started out in the the comedy scene, was was it when it was kind of, Blossoming, the kind of alternative thing was was. Yeah, I, I was very lucky. I got into it very early. I, I realised after all this travelling backwards and forwards, going coming home with no sort of future, but enjoying the time away, doing a crap. I, I mean, I even went to a plumber for a while. I, I I got a job as a plumber. I'm not a plumber. Mm. I used to bullshit my way into that. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's a long story, but um, I eventually got to find my girl. What am I going to do? And I, I didn't know what to do, and I just had this feeling that I wanted to obviously perform in some way. I thought, oh, maybe I'll become an actor. Mm. And I'd never done a second of acting, like, like not a second mm. before in my life. And uh, I applied to get into drama school, and I got in. Uh, you, know, I, you know, maybe I had something, uh, whatever. And I did a year in this drama school, and I got a grant and everything. I got a full grant, I got a maintenance grant, which was like, I got my fees paid and I got like a, a living allowance. Mm. I had a girlfriend at the time. I was living in her flat in uh, Stone Newington. And uh, I did that for a year. Then I, after a year of that, I thought, I don't want to be an actor. No, I'm not an actor. Get me out of here. And I had to get myself thrown out because I'd have to pay my fees back. Oh, how'd you do that? Uh, I just drinking, really heavy drinking. <laughs> really. Really took it to another level. I mean, you'd be proud of me. I was just, I mean, I was already a big drinker, but when I, when I was given like this sort of um, almost visa for drinking, like basically saying, you need to drink more than you are to get out of this paying back £5,000 debt. <laughs> that was the incentive I needed. So they threw me out. And, um, and then I was back um, working, labouring, doing jobs again. And uh, that's when I kind of stumbled across the comedy scene. And I uh, thought, oh, I'll give this a go. And uh, I was very lucky. It was very early. It was really easy to get gigs. And if you were, if you failed, it didn't matter. People say, I'll just come back in two weeks' time. Yeah, you know, have another go. Yeah, right. But now, it's like they, they wait nine months for one gig. And if it doesn't work, they've got to wait another nine months, which which is uh, it's tough. It's really, it's really tough. It's tough for young people in every respect these days. Much, much tougher. We had a very particularly gilded, easy period of history, I think. Um, this sort of post-war mob, and now it's it's pretty tough again in in certain respects, particularly in employment. I mean, but um, yeah, I know, yeah, it's it really easy. It's really easy. It gave you a license to experiment, I guess. Then, like, if you're not if you're not under yeah. that much pressure, if, yeah, if you were that way inclined, you know, yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did. In fact, that that was generally what you were trying to do, anyway. So. You would just do anything you wanted to do. There were people doing all kinds of bizarre things. Not stand up. Stand up was, you know, not not everyone like now. Everyone's stand up. Mm. 
you know, like half the acts were stand-ups. There's lots of double acts and uh, character acts and people doing this weird stuff with, you know, props and things. So um, mm. I was very lucky. And then within, uh, I was still working when I did it, but Margaret Thatcher had this scheme called the Enterprise Allowance Scheme, which meant that if you left the doll, right, and you started a business, uh, they would give you, they'll pay your housing benefit, they'll pay your rent, and give you £40 a week for a year, and then that's it. We don't want to see you for another two years. So you, well, the idea was that you would take this money uh, and this opportunity, and then you wouldn't darken their door for a while. And it was actually set up a lot of people in loads of different businesses. It's one of those, you know, that, you know, that obviously I've got a lot of antipathy towards Margaret Thatcher, but some things she did were actually quite good that helped ironically a lot of alternative comedians so I did that I, so that was my rent paid I had 40 quid a week mm. and um, uh, I, and I actually split up with this girl at this time at this point she had enough of me mm. and uh, uh, so I had 40 quid a week and also all I needed to make was about another 100 quid and I was living a good life yeah. So I just go out and get gigs. Now, the gigs weren't paid that much. They paid about £20, £25. But, you know, if you've got enough in a week, you, you get by quite well. So it was a really good period, really. Good time to do it. Yeah, I did something similar to get in. Uh, it was a scheme where you got your dole for a year, half the dole the next year, and a quarter the next year, and then you were off. Right. But the thing is, I wasn't even on the dole when I applied for the scheme. I had to get myself sacked again. <laughs> a different job <laughs> I just explained to the bloke I was working for I said could you sack me and I said so I can do this he was like uh, typical dull guy I said no 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 I want to become a comedian don't worry I'm, I'm uh, paid my taxes don't worry it'll be worthwhile I'll tell you that amount of tax I've paid I think it's more than worth it as well absolutely um, so he had to sack me he said a letter I've been sacked to go on the goal then go on the scheme oh, that's amazing <laughs> yeah I've not heard of anyone asking to be sacked for that reason before. But, yeah, and yeah. and uh, I think I spent my whole life asking to be sacked. Yeah, it's just I call I call it comedy. <laughs> yeah. And from the start, I mean, when I first saw you, you were wearing a three-piece suit. It was kind of flared, I think. Was that yes. was that a look that did you? Yeah, yeah. I just found it. I found it. It wasn't actually. It wasn't three-piece, but it looked like three-piece. It was a sort. Of, Flared pinstripe suit. Oh, I was. It was very tight. It was a French cut, and uh, I, I, I just thought I'd like something distinctive because to look in a particular way. Yeah. And you, you had that the one suit, was it? Gave me something different to, when you walked on stage. You looked, you looked different, and you, in, it enabled you to be something slightly different, a heightened version of yourself. Right, yeah. uh, like a fancy dress version of yourself, you know, like your your, your behaviour is almost some of the mad shit you come out with is almost explained by the fact that you come on in, in semi, almost as a character, but not a version of yourself anyway. So I did that for a long time. Yeah, and then one day I had to accept that I couldn't; it wouldn't fit anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know the man, the baseline I had in my. Um, uh, late twenties, early thirties, started to change, and uh, I, tell you, I had another one made, Nia Brown, polyester, slightly bigger. Oh yeah. And then I moved away from that look after I got fed up with wearing tight clothes, and I thought that's no look for a man of my age. 
Are you wearing the brown one in the Sean Locke live video? That no, that's a different suit. I, that I, was I, a suit I, I wore. I, I bought just ambling around. My wife said, "Don't buy that. That's an awful suit." But I spent. I bought. I spent quite a lot of money on it. So I thought, well, I'm going to get the wear out of it. So I took it on tour, yeah. and uh, thought, well, if I if I wear it on tour, I can say I can claim it. <laughs> <laughs> you can claim on so, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that, that was the reason I chose my, uh, my outfits. Yeah. It's funny. When I saw you in Unveil Box, I think you had what was kind of like a catchphrase. I think every now and then you'd say, I love the snooker. You just used to throw that line in. Did you? Do you remember doing that? I used to what? You used to throw this line in. You used, every now and then you'd say, I love the snooker. I love the snooker. Snooker. Did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah I maybe probably did. Yeah, maybe it was I just that night. Lots of non-secretary, yeah, maybe it was that night. Mm. Not I used to experiment with non-secretaries and uh, non-secretaries, and um, used to play around a lot with language. Used to, I, I think you know, stand-up in this country is very much in its still very much in its early days. Hasn't been around that long. Mm. So all of us were messing around with what you could and couldn't do, what you could, how you could be on stage, right? Yeah, the type of comedian you could be. So it's quite an interesting time to be around. It was really interesting, actually. Uh, I, I do genuinely feel privileged to have, have, uh, have, and there was no sort of um, career arc. It was just going on stage, dicking around. There was no bigger scene. There was no. It was no there was nothing bigger than what we were doing. Yeah. Until it sort of started to change as the 90s went on. Yeah. Um, I think it was when Sean got, uh, won the Perrier. And then I went, oh. Sean Hughes. Uh, Sean Hughes, yeah. He won the Perrier. And then I went, oh, okay. And, um, and then he got a show. He did his Channel 4 show. Hmm. And then Jack D. And then right. and then it was like, oh, this Lee Evans. I remember Lee Evans coming to the comedy store and saying, it he, he was, in fact, the first time he did Bailey Rhapsody. And he was sort of, uh, he was trying it out for a bigger show he was doing and uh, he was saying, he was saying yeah I don't want to play this place all my life and I remember thinking standing there with the pint going oh I thought this was great <laughs> this yeah. was the best place to be what you mean it's so bad on there and <laughs> and, uh, and then realised he started waking up to the fact that there was a larger stage scene out there <laughs> being forced I was forced to take it more seriously and what does that mean? They uh, ruined it. They ruined it. They ruined it. Yeah. Was that mean like put, put putting together an Edinburgh show? Is that is that is that was your next? Step yeah, that kind of thing. That yeah. kind of thing. You know those Edinburgh shows that you go and see. And you go. Yeah. You've got passable twenty minutes, really. <laughs> and I've never seen an Edinburgh show that had more than a passable forty. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's always stretched out, and uh, I mean, I, I've, it's an old other different conversation, but. Uh, so I, I, I think it's good to take it more seriously and I think it was good to take it more and be more creative and work harder at it. So I became, realised, oh, maybe this is something you could do as your career. Because I just saw it as another, another stopgap, like another building site or another, yeah. you know, um, another job, another factory, whatever I was working in. It was just, the, the work was, was was different. So then I realised you had a career to um, pursue. So uh, that was that was quite good fun. That you could do that. Uh, as well as being, it suddenly woke us up to the um, possibilities of it. 
Right, yeah, but like uh, you, you seemed, uh, as far as I could, you seemed to write a lot. I mean, you, you mean you... yeah, I did. I started to write. I started to, um, to. I got an office and I started to write shows, uh, Edinburgh shows, and, and new stand up more and more. Try and get better at it. Try and perfect what I was doing or what I was trying to do, yeah. and um, without really having any overall. I think it's quite, you know, you, you don't really know what the job is. Really, it's not just making. It's making people laugh. It's not just making people laugh. Um, it's the interesting bit about it because if you're just making people laugh, then you could. There's certain things you could do over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's something a bit more to it than that. Uh, something personal about it, or something we relate to in, in various ways. So, discovering all those elements of it was, was interesting. I enjoyed it. Right, yeah, and uh, I suppose keeping yourself interested as well, like because if you're just doing the same yeah. set, you could just go insane. As you know, I've seen comedians who've done the same set for a long time, and it doesn't. Yeah, end I don't up, know how to do it. No. Yeah, I don't think it ends up good in the end, though. Um, but uh, no, I don't. I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. So, what was your first Edinburgh show then? Ah. Uh... You know what? I'm trying to think. I think the first time I did it, I did it with the rubber. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, did it with the, the rubber, rubber bishops. bishops. I saw that show. Yeah. I saw that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we uh, did. I did a bit of stand up. I yeah. did their bit, and then we did sketches. It was a great. It was, it was a, probably one of the most successful Edinburgh shows I ever did because people really liked it, and they came to the uh, Gilded Balloon. Saw the Gilded it. Balloon. Yeah, that's uh, I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, and then the following year, I did a show with Bill, which nobody came to. It's weird. It's just us it's called Rock where he was like an old rock star and I was his roadie there had lots of stand-up-y elements in it but it was it was like a theme show stupid comedy show yeah. uh, but literally one night there was only one person in the audience and it was Dominic Holland and he said uh, go on lads just relax enjoy yourself <laughs> and then, fuck off fuck off Dominic you didn't even pay to get in and uh, so uh, we went we went and bought bought him a drink um we're not going to do the show. So, uh, and then the five year after that, I did my first solo show. And then I did about four or five solo shows after that. Yeah. And then I stopped. Uh, as other things came along. Because the three weeks I found it exhausting and um, mm. mentally, physically, uh, it's very, not very good for relationships. And, uh, mm. uh, but I enjoyed, I had a brilliant, I used to have a brilliant, brilliant time there. Um, everywhere I went there were people I liked and you know I think I'm sure liked me I think they did and uh, it was just a, it was like a long and never ending so I used to call it the comedian's Christmas yeah <laughs> just you know there was also all the fear and dread and the things not going well and the other people handled that reviews that and all that byproducts but that sort of made your ranks the sort of um, you know get you bring you close together in other ways so you know, no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But I, I don't miss it in the sense that I don't have any desire to do it again. Right, yeah. Although you've been back, I saw you maybe six, seven years ago, was it? In, uh, but you, you brought a show there to, to Edinburgh. Yeah, I think yeah. it's just maybe I've done a night here, but not do like a new show up there in the sort of traditional format. Well, I've done a, a, you know, a couple of nights. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. Um, mm. Turn up, make a few quid and leave. <laughs> right, yeah. 
<laughs> Good idea. Uh, so, and then, um, uh, when did fifth? Uh, what was your first TV break? Was that with? Oh, I know you did uh, uh, something with um, uh, Badil and Rob Newman, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. They asked me. Oh, I've lost you there. I've lost you. I don't know. Sorry about that. Oh, through sure. some tunnels. Oh, yeah, Grant. Oh, just where are you, so, where are you um, going? Yeah, we're talking, about, talking about Newman and Badil. Yeah, 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 yeah. They asked me to do that. Uh, so I was in their show, and then they said, "Oh, we're going on tour. Would you want to come on tour with us?" Yeah. And uh, I thought, "Yeah, that sounds easy." So I just had to do little bits and bobs in their tour, and then it finished at Wembley. And there's this sort of legend that I uh, I was supporting them, so that I was first person to play Wembley Arena, but I wasn't because I wasn't. There wasn't a support act. I was just in bit in the show, in bits and places, you know, in places. Yeah. Throughout, and I did did that, and then. Just generally, uh, I did a radio show. That's uh, 50, min- 50 Minutes of Misery? No. Yeah. Oh. That's right, yes, yeah. yeah. And just slowly built up a profile that way. And then I got the TV pilot. And then John Plowman, who's a brilliant BBC producer who's not there anymore in that mm. position, he was very trusting. He said, well, okay, I'll put this forward and, you know, make a pilot. And, um, got it commissioned and left us alone to do what we wanted to do. So we got to make, you know, exactly the show we wanted to make. Yeah. Which, whilst not being commercially, or what's the word, successful in some ways, is, you know, I, I'm, I was very proud of and very pleased with. Yeah, it's really brilliant, so, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah, I've got that, I made that. And then, and then the light entertainment thing came along and sort of around about the time that, I was doing the second series of that. More of the panel show thing opened up. And I thought, oh, I'll go and do that. It's quite good money, easy money. And I started doing QI and then a few others. Yeah. And uh, I, thought, I found I could do them, you know, do them without too much pain. And was it um, something, though, that you found you had to learn how to do? Uh, the panel show type? Yeah, I think you do. I think, yeah, I think you do. You need to learn to sort of see it as a gig. But it's not just your gig. So there's bits where it's your gig and then there's bits where it's not your gig and then you have to treat the audience. Like a team, first time you walk into a TV studio, you're, you 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 don't necessarily, it doesn't look like a theatre, it doesn't look like a comedy club, it doesn't look like a normal, that normal relationship, but that's actually what it is. Yeah. It's just in a different format and they've, they've you know, and uh, it took me a while to learn that. And, uh, but the good thing about it is, yeah, it's not your, it's not just your gig, so other people are going to, so instead of seeing people as like interjecting and dominating, they're actually just taking, taking some of the what's the word, taking some of the pressure, taking some of the responsibility, and you, you know, right. you've obviously got to find your way of, uh, of getting your chance to perform. But you know, so that, that that's the thing to learn, which I learned you know, uh, really quickly. Yeah. So you've got to let other people have their moment and, yeah. then, and then come in and and it's yeah well i was i would just let other people when i first started i didn't know when when i could or couldn't go and uh you know, just learn to sort of you know like watching trying to cross a busy road right <laughs> well that's what i imagine yeah, i'd imagine the panel showed it depends on who's on it i guess but i guess there's a lot of vying for attention to a certain extent 
But then I guess if you work yes, together, yes, yeah, as, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, absolutely. But that's what makes them good is that that competitive edge, yeah, to them right. because there is a bit of pressure going there. But as long as it doesn't get too sort of uh, what's the word critical, they, they, people lose their sense of humour and it's just about it becomes purely competitive. Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're, yeah, yeah. But they, they, they do flourish from that, you know, and um, I enjoy doing them. Uh, and we're still going. I mean, I, and I got the job in eight out of ten cats, and that was it took a long time for that show to get good. It was it limped along for a long time because of the, the uncertainty about what sort of show it was, and you know, the producers not necessarily trusting us, and the channel not necessarily trusting. Us. So they would cut together versions of it that were just quite harsh, and there was loads and loads of punchlines, basically. Mm rather than actually the show that had been recorded. And it took a lot of, not quite a few years before they started to relax a bit about it and let it flow a bit more and the relationships work a bit better. And uh, yeah, we're still going, what, 2005? So what's that, you know? So 13. 14 years 14 later. Years. That's that's amazing. That's really found its feet and it's like an institution yeah, yeah, yeah. now. Well, a bit like a no, we did the countdown, the countdown version of yeah. it. It's even easier. It's even easier because Actually, half the show, you're just playing stupid word puzzles. Right. And, uh, you know, you, well, I think why the reason it's successful is nobody can write any material for that show. You, Apart from the opening gag where you have, like, a sort of mascot, that's it. it you can't write any stuff, so it has to be what happens in the room. And mm. there's so much going on. It's, it's, it, so it sort of works quite well in that way. It's kind of the show I, we, 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 we were trying to make anyway. That's, uh, that's so, yeah, I'm good, delighted though. that that's still going. It's pretty good that, that it's, not, it's not, because uh, I, I, some panel shows do feel like, well, it's already planned. It looks like it's ad-libs, yes, but yes, it's planned. Yeah. Well, the comics don't do that. The producers do that. And, um, you know, oh. it's, it's, comics don't want to do that. Yeah. Comics want to be uh, free, most of them, majority of them. But uh, the producers and the, um, you know, whatever, <coughs> what are they called? Don't trust it. Sometimes they don't, yeah, they don't, or they have this way of doing it. But um, yeah, we're like, we're, I'm off there to record two tonight. We're going to, on my way to Manchester now, because that's where they, everything has to be. We have to travel to the clock. The clock is like, it's like a tabernacle in a church. Yeah. You know? uh, it's, it, they, they refuse to move it. It can't be moved. It's a sacred object to them. Right. And uh, we all have to travel to the clock. Yeah, it's like going to Rome or something. We have to go to the, um, the countdown travel clock. To the clock. Yeah, because because you can imagine how difficult it would be to build a fucking clock in down in London. Not very difficult, and we could all stay in London. All the acts, nearly, I would say, seventy-five to eighty percent of the acts are coming up from London on a train. Yeah, uh, and all of the most of the production team are coming up from London. And you know, I've no resentment. I think it's brilliant that they have TV studios in Manchester, but yeah, you know, come on. Just yeah. a clock. <laughs> Although it's quite nice, I can sit on a train. I actually, I'm not complaining at all. I, I, I like the fact that I have this. We go up, we all go up, and um, we spend a night in a hotel. We meet up and have a drink afterwards. No, I'm not complaining at all. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I actually, I think it's good that it's out of London. That there's more stuff out of London. Yeah. I genuinely do I think that. I think uh, the the business gets too. For whatever, for whatever reason, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, for lots of reasons, and that, that's. Yeah. I know that sounds like I'm sort of um, 
trying to be um, sort of diplomatic, but it's not. I do. I, initially, my response to it was, "This is we all got to go up to bloody Manchester," but um, it's yeah. actually a good thing. And you travel on the train. Would that be kind of unusual? Someone of your calibre to be using public transport, a big star like yourself. I don't know. I use uh, public transport all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, no, it's not a problem at all. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not as big as you think I am. Uh, you're um, big. Well, do you, uh, you don't get any. Do you get hassle? Or no, no. And, and I'll be. I mean, I don't know if you heard, but people were bringing me tea. Yeah. So they they get me a first class ticket, and at eleven o'clock on a uh, on a Thursday, they're not that busy. But um, no, generally I travel on when I'm not paying. I just go in normal. No, it's not people find they've got far too much helmet to put a hat on, their glasses. But yeah, the cap you put a cap on and you Yeah, I'm wearing maybe caps. Mm. I'm fine. But no, I use the tubes and I use the buses. Yeah. Where I live is there's no tube. So um I know I, I don't think it's a it's it's an issue. Right. For me anyway. Yeah. I mean public transport might be um um a good place to hide actually. How do you mean? Yeah. I think that's where I think it's what that's where um, what's his name Julian Assange should just be on public transport <laughs> permanently. Yeah, yeah. Out, what are you doing there? David Barry apparently used to use a lot and read a big newspaper. Really? Yeah. Um, that was his thing. You see, if you read, if you read a newspaper, with it, well, obviously he didn't have one of his flamboyant hats on. I imagine he had a more laid-back hat. Mm. But it, if you see someone reading a Greek newspaper, you just assume they're Greek. They're reading Greek. Yeah. And uh, uh, I thought that was very clever. <laughs> very stylish as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. Greek. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. A... Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think probably a lot of uh, big people like uh, tend to draw more attention to themselves, big stars, by having uh, some a minder with them. I mean, if someone's got a minder, you go, ooh, who are they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be a friend. <laughs> they could be, but if they look like a big a, friend, a friend wearing dark glasses, just <laughs> I, I have a big, I've got a big friends actually, but uh, I don't, I don't need one. Really, I, I would say ninety nine percent of the time, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, people if they do say anything, it's pleasant. It's the interesting thing about the difference between the internet and the, the world of the flesh and the internet, people find it much easier to say cruel, mean, yeah. vicious things, but in the flesh, they don't have that ability at all. They're tended to say nice things. I'm not saying the same people are saying nice things to me are writing things on the internet about me. I don't know what's been written about me on the internet because I don't ever, ever, ever look. But yeah. I think as a cultural observation, it's a bit like people in their cars. In their cars, they, they feel like they're yeah, in a bubble. Yeah, raging at people, raging at someone. Yeah. But if they were actually as a pedestrian, they go, oh, excuse me, sorry, I'll, I'll, no, you're after you. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, that's the same sort of um, thing. So, yeah, no, it's not a problem at all. The bicycle's kind of halfway between both. Uh, you you could shout at someone, but then, but then... Yes, that's a very good point, yeah. They could. A bicycle is somewhere... No, you get shouted at on a bicycle. I suppose you do. Usually, I usually get a cycle. Well, you get a cyclists shout, uh, uh, kind of shout at motorists. Um, yes, they do, don't they? They're, they're quite aggressive type, the cyclists these days. Yeah. Probably at the hope um, that the motorist will be... F- Fast enough to keep moving, mm. yeah. yeah, not stop, but uh, yeah, um, 
Um, I'm going to be at Manchester. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and get in in about sort of 10 minutes. Okay, okay, grand. Well, listen, it's been good chatting. And uh, then the last time we were talking, just the last time I was talking to you, you were uh, you were wondering why people don't eat bats. But I actually did a bit of research on that. I think it's quite dangerous yeah. to eat bats. That's kind of how SARS might have started. So Really? Well, so, well SARS? They, bats, they, bats they, cause SARS. It's possible. It's possible. Because when they sleep hanging upside down, they kind of shit and piss on each other. And, uh, I see. So they're, 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 they're pretty rank creatures, yeah. 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 Uh, it's just because they're mammals and they're warm-blooded. I just thought, well, we eat most warm-blooded things, uh, apart from dogs. But, but, but other people, you can eat dogs. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Don't, but we don't eat bats. Um, so that's very good. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks for finding. I thought it was because you say because they they really taste they they taste disgusting, but uh, uh, they don't taste like chicken. Then they don't they're not. No, I don't know what they taste like, but I think it was some tribe that did eat bats, but they got a lot of they weren't that healthy, uh, and they blamed a bat <laughs> for SARS. They definitely blamed a bat for that. But, but the bat might have shot on a pig, and the pig was got it, and then someone, yeah. someone ate the pig and. Uh, yeah, an old lady at a pig, and uh, and then she got, got on a plane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, surely if you cook about enough, you're going to get rid of the SARS. You're going to cook the SARS out. Sars can't be that strong a disease. Yeah, I don't reckon. Look, I'll go back. I'll, I'll do more research. <laughs> I think they'll be like. I imagine they'd be a bit like chicken wings. It's a real fashion chicken wing moment or, or, in uh, or, fast food. Or, okay. or yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken are a little bit like the wings are quite uh, thin, so they're more like crackling, maybe, maybe like crackling. Yeah, and then, and you'd have like uh, bat wings. Yeah, but of course, the main thing reason people don't eat bats is they're protected. That's what it is. <laughs> they're they're a highly protected species. Uh, if you have bats bats in a property, you literally can't do anything to the property. Uh, so that's probably the main reason we don't eat bats. Uh, they're rare and special. Oh, well, maybe, but uh, yeah, okay. I mean, because I and when I was, you, have you done gigs in China? If you, if you in China, they have. Uh, no, I, I'd like to, but I haven't, I haven't done that yet. No. Uh, well, I remember getting on the train in China, and they, I bought. I thought I was buying crisps, bag, bag of crisps, but they were like chickens' ears or or chickens. Um, chicken feet. Feet, maybe feet. Yeah. And. Uh, oh, that's a nice surprise. Yeah. And it was on the bullet train. Did you eat them? Well. I did, yeah, yeah. They were all right, like, and uh, yeah, it was nice. So, yeah, I mean, look how look how many Chinese there are. I mean, if the chicken feet were poisonous, there'd be less Chinese. Yeah, a billion Chinese people can't be wrong. That's the kind of maths I do. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, I'm getting a sign here as well saying ten minutes. So, and you're getting into the train station. Yes, yes. Uh, pulling it to Manchester in about three or four minutes. All right, okay. So, um, oh, we better wind it up. All right, okay. Well, listen, thanks for the chat, Sean, and uh, maybe I'll see you when you're back in Ireland. And... Yes, it was a pleasure. It was really nice. Love to, love to have a drink with you and your girlfriend in uh, in Galway in that lovely pub. What was it called? The, the Fox? The Crane? The Crane? The Crane, the Crane. Yeah. It was a lovely pub. Oh, it was My a lovely pub. pub. For a long time. Yeah, I haven't been Old in it. Old man's pub. I hadn't been in it before, so that, that was nice. Yeah, yeah I, had two, I had two nights in there. I was in there Friday and the Saturday and the Sunday. I had a great time in there. Ah, it was brilliant. Um, 
I really enjoyed it. But it's a really good yeah. speech, speech uh, to you again, and, um, and good luck with everything. All right, thanks a lot. You too. See you, Sean. Bye. Bye. Joe. Bye. 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 Um, so thanks for listening and uh, thanks for uh, subscribing and you can leave a review on uh, iTunes please do five stars and a review thanks very much and uh, coming up on my gigs on the 1st of December I'm doing City Limits in Cork the 7th I'll be up in the box in Dungannon and in the Glyden in Anagassan and then the 8th I'll be in the Spirit Store and uh, the 15th I'll be in Inchagila in McCroom. And on the 20th I'll be in the Black Box in Belfast. Um, also be sticking uh, some songs and sketches up on the Joe and Pat Facebook page. I have a song that I've just recorded tonight. And it's we're shooting the video for it tomorrow. In my flipping flat. And uh, yeah, look out, look for that. Look for Joe and Pat. It's me and Patrick McDonald on Facebook. You can find me on the website joerooneycomedian.com, my Facebook page, Joe Rooney Comedian. You can find me on Twitter, Joe Rooney One, on Instagram, Joe Rooney Comedian, uh, in Drogheda, Joe Rooney walking around in my car, Skoda. And you just see me around there, you know what I mean? But, uh, thanks for, I don't know who's coming up next. I'm trying to get Brendan Grace at the minute because he, he but that what's happening, he's actually uh, back and forth. He lives in Blade, Florida or something like that. And then, you know, and he's had health problems recently. So um, uh, I hopefully will get him in the next day or two. And then that'll be that. Harry, thanks a million, man. We'll see you next time. All right, buddy. All right, see man. Bye. At Bakers, we work with local farms right in our own backyard to bring you food that's fresher than fresh. From homegrown watermelon that makes your mouth water to crisp corn picked right around the corner. Come pick out some yourself because shopping for local produce should be as easy as shopping at your local Bakers. Bakers, fresh for everyone. You can save an extra $10 when you spend 40 or more on a great selection of participating items. Just look for the signs and save at Bakers. 